A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners. Um, I sound like I'm about to start an advert, but I'm not. I'm about to start an actual episode of Homo Sapiens. Homo Sapiens for all your queer needs. Should you be needing a nutritious, delicious, informative, loving conversation with a global superstar? Look no further than this week's Homo Sapiens. We've got Katie Lang on the show today. Katie Lang, honestly, was one of the first people I was ever aware of for her queerness. She is so, and always has been, so unafraid to be different. And she represented as a gay woman. So she was the conduit the conduit, there we go, we're using the word conduit here, for so many outdated views about what women should be and how they should appear. But she was writing this incredible music, like songs like Constant Craving, that have been the soundtrack to so many people's lives. And she famously, you know, was often linked to Madonna. It's been really interesting to listen to KD speak about that whole thing in uh, retrospect, because I think I'm quoting her right in saying that she kind of feels like people tried to make out like they had some form of relationship as a bit of a marketing thing, but actually it wasn't real at all. But they were both, you know, such massive superstars that it felt logical to link them in some way. And she's this really humble, thoughtful person who has been through the apex of fame and always made it her business to try and represent and do good for people no matter how successful she got but we just had this lovely chat about what it's like to be looking back on kind of an incredible life where you have done many things in some ways first you know she was representing for gay women uh, in a visible way which it still needs so much more visual everyday representation and also talking about we spoke quite a bit about butch and what that means and how that's always underplayed but she's done so many iconic things like she did this incredible um cover of vanity fair where she was with cindy crawford being shaved as if she was like a man in a suit and playing with gender and all of that stuff is something that's kind of baked in from the very beginning because she actually started as a country and western star really a country and western singer because what she wanted to do was to play with all of that kind of imagery of the you know the women in that world all had to look basically like Dolly Parton big hair big boobs and she was wearing suits and stuff and she she really reminds me of Orville Peck, who I don't know if any of you have heard of Orville Peck. I hope you have. We need to get Orville Peck on the show. Although isn't Orville Peck, isn't it like a secret who he, they are? Anyway, um, leave it with me, listeners. Uh, yeah, it's kind of subverting 
country music. And she's always been someone who subverts expectations. And that's what makes her someone who I love. And she honestly, when we first ever had a conversation about the people we would like to talk to on this very podcast, we did a list, we sat down at the kitchen table, tapped out a list and Katie Lang was one of the very first people and her wonderful management people have been coercing it into life ever since. So at the end of a long, long wait that I cannot tell you it is so worth it. Here you go, listeners. Here's Katie Lang. How are you? Where are you in the world? I'm in Calgary, Alberta, and it is a beautiful day. 21 degrees, slight breeze and sunny. Heaven. Well, it's 8am here in Adelaide. Bit of cloud. You're quite an Australiophile, aren't you? I am, yeah. I think of it as my second home, for sure. Do you? How come? Or third. Second or third. You know, I started touring there early, like 1995 or something like that, and just connected with the audience, the people and the place, uh, so physically beautiful. And just, I think there's a, a colonial sense of humor in common. Mm, there's yes. something about the Australians that I understand their humor. British humor kind of goes over my head a little bit. Does it? How so? Yeah, I, I've always been intimidated by the Brits. So, you know, I feel of, <laughs> of lesser intelligence. And so the humor is always a little bit daunting. Is that the sort of sarcasm? Is that what it is? Maybe I wonder. Yeah, well, yeah, probably. It's just very fast. And I don't know, the Australians are very like Canadians in terms of their humor. I've had a really nice time here sort of getting to know... So Adelaide is, you know, it's not a big city for Australia at all, but like I've found the local gay bar and I've gone there and, you know, hung out with people and talked to people and noticed... Oh, I've listening to people. I have heard them speak of it being tougher to be gay here, perhaps culturally, than I would feel that we are I sort of feel like I take for granted the fact that I live in London and actually it's really not a problem anymore I know for me specifically that surprises me because for as long as I remember the Chamber of Commerce in in Australia would sponsor the gay pride parades and I you know I I performed at the gay Olympics in well I don't remember what year it was but it was a while back and mm. I always thought Australia was uh, was super progressive, but I do know that it's a big country and and there, it has its right of right spectrum. Yeah, but I'm having a whale of a time. I tell you, Mary's Poppin is um, the local gay bar here. We've had a wild time in there because I'm also I'm here on my own because of COVID. I couldn't travel with my husband and my dog, so I've sort of regressed to being a 23 year old single person standing in nightclubs at 2 a.m. going, "What am I doing here?" Um, <laughs> and how is that? Co- how is that within the COVID restrictions? There are none here. There are really? none. Wow! But tell me, tell me about this new album and congratulations. I love the remix that I was sent. The first one. Thank you. You know. It started with Miss Chatelaine and we started remixing and of course, gay bars, which I'm surprised to hear that there's even gay bars exist anymore because there's not really any gay bars. There's certainly very few in Los Angeles and there's very few Mm. in Calgary. You know, they're kind of a thing of the past. And, uh, you know, a Katie Lang show was the original Tinder. So, you know, that was a different day, (laughs) (laughs) time and place. (laughs) Uh, it really was 
Yeah. So, you know, gay bars and clubs, big dance parties, you know, roving dance parties and, and gay clubs were the community centers. And it was the record company, of course, that said, let's put out some remixes. And they've got all these remixes by really famous, like Junior Vasquez, like DJ yeah. Shadow, like really famous DJs. And um, I even had to go to the gay clubs occasionally and introduce my song and it would be packed and sweaty and I'd be like the only yes. woman there and I'd be like, what? <laughs> but it was, it, <laughs> it was really fun. And so I remembered that I had all these remixes and I thought, mm. wow, it, now's a perfect time to put out an album of remixes when people can dance freely in their, in their yes. kitchen in the morning and, you know, not worry yes. about whether or not they know the new dance steps. And it's a really clever idea because there is this whole other second life of all of your music that is never really collated together in one place. Agreed. It's the gay bars in which all of that community lives. And how, I suppose in a way, that's how KD Lang songs found their way onto a dance floor, right? Yeah, exactly. And and what's interesting as KD Lang, as I spent most of my youth in gay clubs before I even started my career. You know, people think of me as a country artist, but actually yes. I spent probably more time listening to disco and dance remixes than I did country music. So it it, it is a fascinating aspect, uh, a kind of a cryptic tangential sidebar to my, my musical mm. life that I, that is really fun to explore. And interesting that, you know, feel free to tell me I am wrong but it's I always find that dance music is actually concealed with it within it a lot of longing you know a lot of emotional sadness that people don't notice you know and I think about for example like George Michael Fast Love which isn't technically a dance song but you know those lyrics are some of the most flooring lyrics you could ever hear I just never thought of dance music as longing, but I guess it makes perfect sense that one would, uh, you know, you, the re whole reason you're you're on a dance floor and, and shaking your thing <laughs> is, is to come to some sort of fruition. So yeah, there I guess there is longing, natural long, longing in dance music. And I always remember someone saying to me when I was in my twenties, you know, I was out all the time as everybody is, and then I was in a bar that's after the club at 3 30 a.m or something and someone said to me you're never going to find someone who you want to take home in a club at that time like you know what kind of people are in a club at that time of night and you were like well wait I'm here <laughs> I know I was like well I'm here <laughs> it's yeah. a numbers game if we do this enough we'll find somebody <laughs> But yes, I was interested and, uh, you know, and all those things you're saying about queer community and dance floors. But do you think we've lost that? And do you think that's an important thing to lose? And a sad thing to have lost is what I mean. I have to say that I don't know if my answer has any capacity for any <laughs> sort of perspective because I haven't been mm. to a gay bar for a really long time and I'm near 60 now, so... I would assume that, yeah, it's a big gaping void in the gay culture because, I mean, there's Tinder and there's instant gratification, but there's not that, like, 
figure out your outfit and call your friends and then mm. go out for dinner and have or have a nap and then get ready to go and i, I the clubs were everything you know back mm. back when i was going to them yeah because i think this is a quick way to describe it and one to be expanded on but i think we are moving into the age of like nuance of like nuance of gender identity nuance of sexuality and oh. it's understood and that feels brilliant but at the same time to lose physical venues to be among your people seems crazy to me because that's what I've loved in Adelaide actually like I've been here I've been making a tv show filmmaking is quite straight like it's yeah. you know there are creatives and there are odd, odd, odd bods but it's quite I find the atmosphere quite masculine and, and quite aggressive mm -hmm. for me whereas I kind of I'm drawn towards I'm drawn I'm not drawn towards that stuff and so I've really enjoyed being able to go to gay bars and feel like I'm with my people who understand the tiny detail and nuance of what it is to be queer you know in any way shape or form so in some respects I feel like there should be more popping up you know there should be more of these bars because people are understanding there's an audience yeah that's that's kind of the the contemporary conundrum isn't it because mm. we want gender fluidity and sexual fluidity we want this kind of what what is it it's just kind spectrum. of a yeah no not a spectrum a blur right you know this blur or this veiled and not precise categorization and yet there is something lost in that and i think that the gay community isn't the only community feeling that you know mm -hmm. you know i think about the urban community for example like urban music where hip-hop was exclusively black and then it just gets completely absorbed into other cultures and then it's it just is everybody's and i i, I don't i don't think the gay yes, culture is the yes. only culture that feels that yes and sort of cherry-picked for the bits that are commercially useful and the yeah. rest the nuance is discarded yeah it's almost like with butch for example you know like the fashion element is aped or spoken about or taken elsewhere but the nuance of it don't want to hear about that yes you know yeah but i mean like again i think that goes that is very very broadly being felt um the homogenization of well like you said fashion of style i mean it goes mm. way past the gay community it's just happening everywhere. Someone was talking about movements and how this was about five years ago, maybe a bit longer, saying we hadn't had a movement in a while. And often it used to be music or fashion that right. was the catalyst for a new movement. Yeah. But things move so fast now that a movement happens over three days and it zips around the world. Whereas before oh, yeah. you had three to like years. write to your friend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> three years or 30 then, years. Yeah. That's so true. It's weird, isn't it? Because I, yeah, it is weird. Because I've, I've often thought, okay, who's going to be the next uh, Nirvana? You know, mm. who's going to be the next big thing? And I suppose the world has kind of, what's the word? Coagulated. Uh, the world has kind of got around Billie Eilish in a way that feels like the f first time I've seen that for a while. Yeah, know? I was thinking about or... Billie Eilish when I said that. Yeah, I, I, there is something about her because I think she stands for 
it, I, I think the same thing that happened to Adele. Like I think people ident they feel safe with identifying with her. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. like it's not like trying to identify with the Kardashian, for example, where you're just never gonna mm. catch up. Mm. Like there's just something um, accessible about Adele and Billie Eilish, and and topped by the conduit of actually good singing, <laughs> you know, where there's yes. actually a voice there and a soul connected to it. So, yeah, I agree with that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Also Lil Nas X as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the most exciting thing to happen, you know, in such a long time. And I th- I think the world thinks that too. I suppose he catalyzes so many things that I wish had, had been around a long time ago. Yeah. Um, well, it, it was there a long time ago. It just wasn't number one on yes. the Billboard charts. Absolutely. I suppose it's that nuance again, isn't it? You know, like there's detail. Like when he did that tweet about stop asking me if I'm what kind of gay I am. I'm gay gay. And and it reminded me of when I came out when I was 19 to my friends having a conversation, which I'm now embarrassed about, but there you go, um, where I said, oh, you know, I'm gay, but I'm not like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to change. I'm not, I'm like, you know, I'm not like other gay people. I mean, what the fuck was I talking about? But <laughs> that was my weird access point to try and not scare, frighten the horses or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I, I had a a lot of work to do in order to understand that I can be as fucking gay as I like. Mm -hmm. But, you know, to have things to point to. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I think when when you were just saying a minute ago about you think about that a lot, I wondered whether you think if the world was as it is now, when you first came about, if the conversation would have been more nuanced and would you have liked that? Or did you enjoy that you were feeling like one of the first people to be openly and proudly queer in such a Mm -hmm. massive platform? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I was definitely loving the fact that I was different and that I was mm. brazen and that I was bursting down doors and smashing ceilings. I loved that, um, especially loved it in country music. Yes. But today, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I just, I can't even wrap my head around what it's like for a gay artist now. Like, does it even mm. exist? Does it matter? Does it come with a whole set of like predisposed circumstances and understandings? I, I don't know. I, I can't speak on what it would be like now. Mm. I really don't know. I, th- 
Try this on for size. I think okay. it's interesting that we're living in an age of activism. And we like people like Billie Eilish because she is an activist. There are activist edges to her work, let's say. And I think that people's queerness now, if it feels like activism, I think a record company is massively behind it. But I still think that they are not massive. Certain record companies, by the way, you know, big commercial entities, full stop. doesn't have to be a record company. I think if it really gets into the nuts and bolts of that person's sexuality, I don't, I don't think the attitudes are that different because I think there is a numbers game of like, you know, if people need to identify with this music, will they identify as much if it's a same sex discussion? Same well, sex, I don't know. Then, then I'm going to say that it's absolutely relative and that it's just the envelope is just pushed a little farther outward and nothing has changed. <laughs> Well, I honestly, day to day, some days I think everything's changed and some days I think nothing's changed. Mm -hmm. And probably both are true. They can coexist. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to skip all the way back to the beginning, thinking about how incredibly progressive you were. And like you said, breaking boundaries, breaking ceilings. Was that from your family as a kid? Were you taught you are you and you do whatever you believe in? Or was that something internal? Uh, both. I had a very supportive family. Three out of four children are gay, but I'm the youngest. So, And I was the first one out and I basically came out for my other two siblings. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a, a discussed policy or like a open policy, but because it was 1979 when I came out. So that was pretty early mm. in the prairies in Canada. So, but I, my parents definitely, definitely instilled confidence in me and, and never let gender issues come to play ever, ever. Really? Tell me more about that because it's it's quite a rare coming out moment where you, because you spoke to your mum and didn't you say, I'm gay and so are your other two children? <laughs> basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. What that's... happened? <laughs> well, I my girlfriend at the time was in a starting to see this guy and was she was a little bit older so she was in the bar I couldn't go to the bar because I was too young and mm. um I was really upset my mom went tell me what's wrong and I said you wouldn't understand she goes try me and I went okay <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's when I came out for my entire family that's funny because I when I came out to one of my best friends I said uh I need to talk to you listen I need you to know that I'm gay. Also, I think you are too. <laughs> <laughs> was was he? He said, no, 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 I'm not. And then like nine hours later, called me and was like, can I come round? Came round and was like, I'm gay too. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was like, brilliant. We can do this together. Even better. So what was that? You know, so you, you had that conversation with your mum and then you are now a very rare thing. You're in a household growing up with gay siblings what was that a lovely thing I imagine I, I don't know I don't think I know anyone who's experienced that um, my brother was long long gone and my sister had just left for university so I was alone with my mum understood at the house and then um, when we went to Edmonton I would somehow end up at the gay bars before I was even old <laughs> enough to go because I, I I was I had a big physical stature and I seemed more mature than I was, but somehow I ended up in the 
in the gay bars underage. That was exciting. I went to my the first gay bar, actual men's bar I went to. A drag queen walked in and I didn't know anything about drag queens at the time. And I was like to my friend, oh my God, look at her. She's beautiful. And he, he said, that's a man. I was like, oh, because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted feminine. I, you know, I've always had a, a thing for feminine women. So yeah, I was attracted to a drag queen at the beginning. How could you not be? Yeah. I mean, well, they're so beautiful. Yeah, and the kind of cartoonish level of femininity that's mm-hmm. being played with there is yeah. intoxicating, particularly when you're young. Yeah. But you grew up on a farm, right? It was a... Small town. I worked on my friends' farms and learned to drive truck there. And you know, my father was a pharmacist and we had the drugstore and my mother was a teacher. You sort of became involved in country music was your first... Well, that's what I first started doing professionally. You know, I I started playing classical piano and then I really the music that I was most influenced as a listener were people like Joni Mitchell, Ricky Lee Jones, Kate Bush, like the singer songwriter kind of thing. Then that movie, um, what was it called now? I can't believe I'm spacing on it. The one with Sissy Spacek and no, no, with uh, Jessica Lange playing Patsy Cline. No, no, the Loretta Lynn one. First was Sissy Spacek, Coal Miner's Daughter it was called, of course. And okay. I just I just became absolutely obsessed with Patsy Cline. And then I started getting all these like uh, inspirational visions of, of how I could play with country music and play with the clothes and play with the, mm. you know, the, the structure of country music or the themes of country music and start to enthuse because I was around a lot of punk musicians and punk people at the time. So I started thinking, okay, let's mix punk and country. And I just kind of created Katie Lang and the Reclines. Yeah. I was thinking how, when I was reading about how, you know, this remix album comes about, what a safe space that was for queer people. But then you, and then I was thinking, how on earth do you end up starting in country then when you are the wildest thing to them? But was that kind of baked in? Did you enjoy the contrast? Absolutely. And I had absolutely no interest in staying or being labeled a country artist. Like I knew that it was right. had a shelf life, you know? Right. And uh, I think that sort of gave me a, you know, a rip course. I could, I could get out whenever I wanted. Like I pushed, yes. I pushed it. So far, and I got to work with Owen Bradley, who was Patsy Cline's producer, and all those musicians who wow. made those records with her. And that was about as far as I wanted to go. You know, I just wanted mm. to, to to get right to the inner sanctum and then head out. So, yeah, I, I mean, I had fun mixing that up. You know, to contextualize that for um, for everyone who might not know, you know, women in country music was sequins i remember i read a lovely thing you said where you said my hair wasn't high enough or something but you know it was huge hair and tons of makeup and pretty non-negotiable right like Mm. you had to look like that yeah it was non-negotiable but um i don't know i just didn't have anything to lose because i wasn't attached to the outcome so i just went for it what was your look then because i remember you did that like 
you did the wedding dress with the cowboy boots look and then you used to like sew dolls onto your suits and stuff is that right yeah yeah I had a lot of fun with the clothes cut off cowboy boots ripped stockings secondhand clothes and clothes made out of curtains and yeah, I had a lot of fun with the the imagery. Creating that look, that very, very visual. I mean, that's that's pop star yeah. DNA, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Well, I don't know if it's pop star DNA. It, it, it seems like it's a main <laughs> ingredient, but I don't know if I'm a pop star. But definitely, I came from the performance art perspective. So to me, it was really imperative that I had a look and that that I juxtaposed it with the music and... Yeah, I just, mm. you know, love to play with opposing ideals. It's interesting because I look at pictures from then of you and they look so modern even now. Ah, that's good to hear. 100%, you know, completely. You know, after after your country music thing and then Ingenue came out and that catapulted you to such massive success. I wanted to ask you if you feel that if the thing like the Vanity Fair cover with Cindy Crawford that incredible picture of you that was your idea right uh mm-hmm. that it- well it was my idea to do the barber chair but it was herb ritz's who was a very close friend to mine to me he, it was his idea to ask cindy so it was kind of collaborative the picture for anyone who hasn't seen it which we'll we'll put up is you're in a barber's chair right and you're in a suit Mm -hmm. and then Cindy has a a barber's blade and she's is she in a swimsuit and she's she's like leaning over yeah some sort of teddy yeah that's it and um she's got this blade and she's kind of shaving you which is iconic in about 15 different ways yeah um and it was inspired by a movie you'd watched is that right yeah hairdresser's husband was a movie a french movie out at the at the town i think Patrice Leconte or something like that. And um, I've always had a thing about barbershops and haircuts. And, you know, haircuts are still a trigger for me for some reason. And um, I wonder what that is. I don't know. You cut your own hair, right? I do, as you can tell. Do you still do that? (laughs) Yes, especially with COVID. Yeah, exactly. Who knew that would be such a skill? I think your hair looks great. But so if you love a haircut... Why do I How cut my own like hair? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Okay, that's getting deep. I don't know. When I get nervous, like especially before a tour, I'm preparing for a tour. Ugh, my hair gets really short because I'm just like in the mirror <laughs> cutting my hair. And then it just looks really? hideous. Yes. One time I was playing at the very beginning of my career, there was this outdoor festival in Edmonton. It was very beginning and I was just starting to get a following and I was performing in front of 3,500 people, which was huge. Mm. I was so nervous and I cut and cut and cut. And then I ended up like a really botched Sinead O'Connor. Like there were patches, but it was that (laughs) short, but there was these huge patches and I'm sure the back looked terrible. So I was, so I, I showed up I showed up and I had a, like a hat, right? And I was playing yeah. country, country, country. And then I, and then in the, in the middle of the set, I took it off and I heard 3,500 people go, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But it, it, <laughs> I think in the long run, it ended up being like a, like a physical manifestation of taming the ego. Really? Yeah, I do. I think that cutting my own hair 
as much as it feeds the ego, it tames it simultaneously. Again, the opposite truth shows up. So something like that. Even with an accidental not great haircut, you managed to create a a sort of troublemaker moment out of it. That's sort of what (laughs) I gleaned from that. (laughs) Well, I think that comes from not being afraid. Like I I never felt like I had to, I never felt worried about my career. Like a crash and burn would just be an experience. Like I've never felt like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, for some reason, I'm just not afraid of failing in the music business. I mean, of course, I don't like it. It's not my Mm -hmm. favorite thing, but it doesn't stop me from just throwing shit at the wall. Oh, taking a pause for the end of part one of our chat with Katie Lang. Come back for part two. So many brilliant stories in the next bit. Go to your feed, find part two, click play, you know what to do. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Powered by Spirit Studios.